0: This hearing of the meeting of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. Um, I'm going to reserve my comments at the beginning because I understand members have other obligations. Um, And I will turn to the ranking member to see if he has any. uh, The ranking member is willing to reserve. Uh, Without objection, I would like to consider in block two Foreign Service Officer Promotion lists and 14 nominations that have been noticed for uh, this business meeting. Is there any objection to that process? If not so ordered, um, I would like to uh, call a vote in block on the Foreign Service Officer Promotion lists and the 14 nominations that have been listed for the business meeting. Um, look, look, Moved by Senator Cardin, is there a second? Seconded by Senator Shaheen. Uh, all those in favor. Mr. Chairman. Yes, Senator um, Risch. Can,
1: can you clarify that? What are, what are we voting on the. We're, we're I understand vo- the Foreign Service.
0: Uh, we are voting in block. Uh, the two foreign service officer promotion lists, and the 14 nominations that were noticed for the business meeting.
1: Does that include uh, Burns, Sabaniel, et cetera?
0: It does. Those are all the people who were listed on the uh, meeting notice.
1: Um, in that case, I'd like to reclaim my time. I, are you not going to speak to the noms? Mr.
0: Uh, I, I am not right now in order to uh, yeah, be expedite. able to accommodate others. I, I, happy I'm happy to mayor. sit and listen to everybody as long as they want afterward. Um,
1: I'm going to briefly. Uh, Senator Risch. Thank you. Uh, first of all, uh, I want to speak to just a, a handful of these briefly. Uh, uh, as far as Nick Burns to be ambassador to China, I believe Ambassador Burns has the requisite experience and knowledge to advance our interest in today's global strategic competition. I plan to support his nomination. Nick Burns has been around a long time. I've known him a long time. Probably no more, uh, no better ambassador uh, as far as being able to represent the U.S. interests. Uh, and uh, he is uh, he's committed to support a strong U.S. military deterrent in the Indo-Pacific, and policies that help Taiwan uh, implement its asymmetric defense strategy. I'm also encouraged by his commitment not to take any steps to trade away U.S. interests for the sake of climate cooperation with China. I will engage with him often to ensure he keeps these commitments. On the nomination of Mayor Rahm Emanuel to be Ambassador to Japan, Mayor Emanuel and I disagree about most of our politics, but we agree that Japan is the cornerstone of our Indo-Pacific strategy and it is our greatest asset in the strategic competition with, uh, with China. That alliance is built on shared values and trust and mutual defense commitments, chiefly extended nuclear deterrence. To put it bluntly, a no-first-use or sole purpose, which is a euphemism for no-first-use policy, would be a betrayal of the alliance with Japan and, and determined to our broader posture in the region I've communicated that uh, to uh, Mayor Emanuel in no uncertain terms. I believe he understands that, and I believe he agrees m- with me. I guess we'll see. I plan to support his nomination. However, expect he will use his position and firsthand experience he'll gain in the region to advocate against a no-first-use or uh, uh, sole-purpose policy and uh, I'm going to count on that uh, with him. Ambassador Barbara Leaf is a qualified career diplomat with 25 years' experience, much of which she spent within the Bureau of Near Eastern Affairs. She's well-suited to lead this bureau. But I have major concerns where, uh, where the administration seems to be going with this Middle East policy. As hard as I keep tugging on this, I'm seriously concerned by the growing number of countries across the region and the uh, uh, current administration's uh, the seemingly openness to normalizing with the Assad regime, I'm, I'm very much opposed to that. I want more details on the on the gas deal the administration is proposing it would flow through Syria and enrich the regime, including the legal arguments on how this would not violate Caesar sanctions. I also hope that Ambassador Leif, uh, if confirmed, will seek to restore confidence in the department's long-term diplomatic commitment to the region following the disastrous with, with, withdrawal from Afghanistan. Uh, as it re- relates to questions for the record for Ambassador Leaf and for all our nominees, less than fulsome responses or non-answers have been a reoccurring issue. The administration must be fully responsive and transparent to com- uh, committee members' request for information. Close call. I'm going to vote no, knowing she's going to be uh, confirmed, but hopefully uh, the, that will uh, set the record straight of the uh, uh, problems I have. With regard to the uh, Gawande nomination, improving international pandemic preparedness is my top foreign assistance policy, and USAID's Bureau for Global Health will be integral to that effort. Dr. Guandi is a highly qualified medical professional who I think has the potential to bring effective accountable leadership to USAID on global health matters. But I'm also aware of concerns raised about his views on abortion, including those expressed in 1998 regarding partial birth abortion, which is deeply troubling. Personally, uh, he has personally pledged to uphold all statutory prohibition on using U.S. foreign assistance to perform, uh, uh, promote, and promote abortion overseas, both verbally and in writing. I have serious reservations about his ability to do so in an administration equally committed to circumventing these same laws. So I'm going to vote no on that. With that, I'll turn
0: back. Thank you very much. Um, I would uh, ask members um, if we could go to a vote. If anybody wants to cast a negative vote on any of these individuals, they can so uh, so uh, be listed.
2: Mr. Chairman. Is there any other member? Senator. Uh, yes. It, as I understood in conversation with the staff, I would ask for a separate voice vote on uh, nominee number 13 to be ambassador to China, to uh, Japan. Okay. The, the The
0: same thing would be accomplished. There is a voice vote now. Any member could be listed as a no on any of the nominees so a separate voice vote would still provide a voice vote but if someone wanted to be recorded as a no they would they would be specifically asked as a no but yeah, is that is that sufficient
2: or do you I can, I can accept that yes I'm sorry yes I can accept that. okay thank you mr. chairman
3: yes senator just a question oh, on this yeah. list that we're voting on uh, I, I would like to request
0: a, a roll call vote on dr. Gawandi. you have that privilege although a motion prior to you, a motion was already made and seconded uh, to proceed in a in block on a voice vote, but it, we will we'll modify it uh, to allow you to have I, a reported vote.
3: Uh, Is your request that we re- reserve our comments till after the votes?
0: Yes, please. And so, since you've asked for a roll call vote on Mr. Gowande, the clerk will call the roll on Mr. Gowande. Can you clarify? What we are was- only having a roll call vote on Mr. Gowandi at this point.
2: On which nominee? Gowandi? Yes. Aye. Thank you.
3: Mr. Booker? Aye. Shot? Aye. Van Hollen? Aye. Mr. Frisch? No. No.
0: Aye. And the nominee is favorably reported to the Senate. Uh, so we will proceed to the previous standing order, which is to consider in block two Foreign Service Officer Promotion lists and now 13 nominations, uh, having Gowandi already been taken care of, that have been noticed for this business meeting. And the clerk will call the roll. I'm sorry, we're having a voice for it. Yes, I'm sorry. Thank you, Senator Carter. All those in favor will say aye. Aye. All those opposed will say no. The ayes have it, and the nominations are agreed to and reported favorably to the Senate. Yes, Senator uh,
1: Senator Johnson wants to be recorded as a no on leaf, as do I.
0: And shall so be recorded. Senator Barras will be recorded no on leaf. Senator Haggerty.
4: I'd like to be reported as a no on Leaf, Burns,
2: and Pantaleon.
0: Shall so be recorded. Senator Merkley.
2: Mr. Chairman, I wish to be recorded as a no on Rahm Emanuel. Thank you. So
0: recorded. Mr. Chairman.
3: I want to be recorded as a no on all of them.
0: So recorded. Senator Markey.
4: Can I be uh, uh,
2: recorded no on Emanuel?
0: So recorded. Having recorded everyone as uh, they wish, uh, majority of the members present having voted in the affirmative, the uh, nominees are reported favorably to uh, the Senate. Uh, so, uh, thank you for everyone cooperating to be able to move this list. Uh, I'm pleased that we had uh, 14. Uh, nominees uh, that we move today, both for critical positions at the State Department and USAID as well as embassies around the world. Uh, they're, I believe, all well qualified, deserving of their nominations, and I hope that we can move them on the floor swiftly. Uh, the slate of nominees that we move today is representative of the quality of Biden administration nominations overall. Individuals who are highly qualified, I believe, will be superb representatives of the United States. Uh, Filling these critical positions is in our national security interest, and I believe it's simply that clear. Unfortunately, the previously routine process of getting qualified nominees, hearings, and committee votes is like pulling teeth. I've been trying for some time to schedule a hearing for the nominee to be the ambassador to Germany. We need a U.S. ambassador in Berlin Uh, so I identified this nomination as a top priority in early August, but the minority is refusing to clear a hearing. I've been trying to schedule a hearing for the USAID Middle East position. We cannot ignore a region that is perpetually in crisis, uh, so I identified this nomination as a priority in early August, but the minority is blocking this hearing as well. And then there is the nominee to be the special envoy for anti-Semitism. The minority has refused to grant her a hearing, apparently because there is some concern about her tweets calling out the use of anti-Semitic tropes. Let's think about that a minute. We don't want the person nominated to advance our global efforts against anti-Semitism to call out anti-Semitism. I sincerely hope that's not the position of the minority and that we can move these nominees forward expeditiously. I also have to note there are nominees ready for a committee vote who the minority won't clear. The tradition of this committee has always been to try to put nominees expeditiously on a business meeting agenda for an up-or-down vote if they've turned in their QFRs. Yet that's not happening. Take Sarah Margone or Mallory Stewart, two qualified nominees for important assistant secretary positions. They have fully responded to hundreds of QFRs. And they did so in time to be put up on the last business meeting. Yet the minority refused to allow a vote when we last met for that business meeting. Now, I could understand this refusal to clear nominees if, like Senator Richter, when he was chair, I had broken comedy. But that's not the case. To the contrary, I have bent over backwards, despite all kinds of obstacles, to work with the ranking member and have noticed only those nominees that he has cleared. I repeat, every single nominee who has had a hearing or a business meeting vote this Congress has been with the explicit approval of the ranking member. But I'd ask the ranking member, does he not share the urgency to get these critical foreign affairs and national security positions filled? Why the delays? Why the obstacles? I know that Senator Risch... In justifying repeatedly breaking comedy last Congress, you told the committee that you believed in getting the facts out there at a hearing and letting the members decide. So I'd ask that you live by your own standard and that you give these nominees their day before the committee. If you or other members want to vote against them, as we just had a series of votes against some of these nominees, so be it. But let's get it done. They deserve hearings and committee votes, not months of delay. We owe it to the American people and to our national security, so I'd ask you and urge you to commit today here at this meeting to hearings the week of November 15th for at least Dr. Amy Goodman, Deborah Lipstadt, Tamara Witts, and Ambassador John Bass, and to agreeing to committee votes in short order after these hearings. I'd similarly ask you to commit to votes on Mallory Stewart and Sarah Margone, So uh, I hope we can get those commitments and we can break this logjam and move forward. They've answered hundreds of QFRs. They've answered hundreds of revised requests to QFRs. They have done everything they can do to be poised, at least for a hearing and or a committee vote. We should give them that opportunity and let the chips fall where they may. Senator Risch.
1: Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. I... uh, Uh, First of all, let me say that you and I have discussed this on numerous occasions. I've expressed to you and express again here that uh, I like to see these people in place. I was a governor. I know that uh, you can't govern without having your people in place, and that is why we have processed 50 of them over the last month and a half. Uh, The the fact of the matter is that uh, uh, it – it's not going to be a situation where uh, where we're going to roll over on ones that we're not done with. And uh, Goodman is a good example, if you want to take that as the poster child for this. uh, As you know, uh, in her previous position, uh, there were uh, millions and millions of dollars went from China into the institution that she ran. Uh, This is a a complex matter. We're looking at it, and uh, we will get to to a conclusion on that. As far as the others... uh, there's only one, and I think I've communicated to you already that I'm, I'm not going to agree, with, agree to putting on. Uh, and I guess uh, if you're the chairman of the committee, if you want to put it on, you won't hear any whining from me. Uh, on the others, uh, again, we're working on them in good faith. But with as many as we've had, as I have indicated, we've cleared 50 of them over the last month and a half. You can't say that we're not acting uh, in good faith. We are. We're not dragging our feet on these with the exception of the one that I've identified to you. And uh, uh, so we we will continue to work, uh, uh, and uh, on behalf of uh, uh, our obligation to uh, uh, to assure that uh, we have a legitimate uh, hearing on these and people can make their decision on them, we will do so. Uh, we should give credit for the uh, vast majority of them that we've already cleared. So thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator
0: Carter, Senator Carter. Uh, Mr.
1: Chairman,
3: thank you very much. And uh, to Senator Risch's point, let me just underscore the concerns that I have that have been expressed by our Chairman. I represented the United States this morning in an international meeting of the Helsinki OSCE Parliamentary Assembly. I am the Special Representative for anti-Semitism, racism, and intolerance and the head of the U.S. delegation to the OSCE Parliamentary Assembly. Along with Senator Wicker, we represented America today And one of our principal topics is the rise of hate, the rise of intolerance, the rise of anti-Semitism globally. And we're working very hard with U.S. leadership to get our European allies for an action plan at the ministerial meetings taking place in December. But it's very hard for us to show leadership when Sarah Morgan, who is the nominee to be Assistant Secretary, Bureau of Democracy, Human Rights, and Labor, has not been acted upon. Her nomination has been pending for 117 days. She is well qualified, and she is the key point person within the administration on the human rights agenda, which is the hallmark of the Helsinki Final Accords. So it presents unique challenges. And as Senator Menendez said, with Deborah Lipstadt, who is the nominee to be special envoy to monitor and combat anti-Semitism, She is so well thought of in the general community, as well as the Jewish community, in her long-standing efforts to stop the scourge of anti-Semitism. So, uh, as a person who be no surprise to the members of this committee as I raise human rights at just about every one of our hearings and what our nominees are planning to do on behalf of human rights and advancing American values globally, it's our responsibility to act on these positions leaving them vacant is not in our national security interest. We need to move them quickly. I think the chairman's request that the the Morgan uh, nomination be acted on at a next business meeting is a a reasonable request, considering that she's been pending for 117 days. Let's vote on that. I certainly hope that uh, Deborah Lipstadt is on uh, the next hearing list so that we can move forward on our commitment to fight anti-Semitism. This has been universal in the Senate. Democrats and Republicans working together on these human rights agendas, on these religious freedom agendas, on anti-Semitism agendas, let us show by our actions on these c- critical nominations. I'd go through the rest, but I just really wanted to highlight those that are, I think, in the human rights basket that we need to act on.
1: Mr. Chairman. Uh, yes, Senator uh, To respond briefly, uh, uh, first of all, uh, Senator Cardin, I have absolute and total respect, as you know, for your view on these issues. and. Uh, and you and I agree uh, to a large degree on most of the stuff. When it comes to the margin uh, one, look. Shortly after her hearing, I communicated to the chairman I was not going to agree to put her on the on the uh, uh, agenda. Out of all the noms, I think it's the only one that I've I've said uh, absolutely not on. But you got two choices: uh, either pull her back, and we got lots of people we could put in there to do this job, or the chairman can uh, put it on the committee with. Uh, under the rules uh, without uh, my concurrence. So that's the only one, and I'm, I'm, like I said, you're not gonna hear any whining from me about it. If that's wh- the way you wanna go, uh, have at it. I'm, I'm not gonna vote for her, I'm not gonna support her, I don't want anything to do with this nomination. The others, uh, we're working in good faith on it. We, I commit to you, we'll continue to work in good faith. So there's only one that falls in that category, but the uh, 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 ball's in your court on that, thank you. Well, uh,
0: yes, uh, Senator Coons. If I could just
5: um, <clears throat> add my concerns about um, the process as well. Um, first, if I could, uh, I-, I was at an event last night with ambassadors from several European countries. Our not having ambassadors to our critical allies like Germany um, is a significant, um, I think, impediment to our effective diplomacy around the world. I- I'm pleased that we moved uh, Nick Burns for China and Rahm Emanuel for Japan and a dozen others today, but frankly, It's November, and we don't have ambassadors to most of the countries of the world. It's November. Um, So, you know, first, Penn is a very complex organization. It's got a $7 billion annual operating budget, and I respect the right of any member to ask QFRs about the details of the operations of an organization that someone who is nominated leads. Um, But I think the, the detail that is being pursued in the case of the nominee for ambassador to Germany Um, is at this point delaying and holding up a a nominee who ought to be moving forward. Um, I also spent a lot of time uh, with a Republican colleague uh, crafting uh, the Development Finance Corporation, the DFC. Um, There is a very capable um, nominee for that. Um, Scott Nathan, who I've worked closely with, who's got a lot of relevant background, um, and and I, I really hope we can move forward with a confirmation hearing for Scott Nathan, Um, The week that we get back, the week of November 15th, in the absence of having a nominee, this is our best answer to the Belt and Road Initiative, to providing development finance that works in the developing world, and not having someone um, with relevant investment community experience and development leadership experience uh, confirmed, I think, is a huge missed opportunity. So I hope um, the minority will allow us to proceed with a hearing for Scott Nathan when we return.
1: Briefly, very briefly, Mr. Chairman. You know, the numbers speak for themselves. We're moving faster here than we did in the last Congress. Uh, I, I'm with you. I've, I've never understood since I joined this committee why it takes so long under either Republican or Democrat uh, administrations to not get people in place. You can't operate the government without it. I'm in full concurrence on that. We're, uh, like I said, we've, got, we've kicked 50 of them out of here. The, the, the backup right now really isn't here as much as it is on the floor. And that's neither, I have no control of that. I don't think Senator Menendez has any control over that. That's between uh, people who are at a higher pay grade than we are, Uh, but uh, I'm I'm with you. I think we need to get these, uh, uh, most of these uh, moved on and in place.
6: Uh, Yes, Senator Murphy. Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Just briefly to to reiterate, um, and to put some numbers behind the problem on the floor, uh, right now, we have five ambassadors that have been confirmed by the full Senate. By this time in Donald Trump's first term, there were 32 ambassadors that have been confirmed by voice vote, by voice vote. Um, I hope my Republican colleagues will concede that they have no greater objections to President Biden's foreign policy than Democrats had in 2017 to Donald Trump's foreign policy. And yet we thought that the security of the nation was important enough that we should have ambassadors in place when we believed them to be qualified. There is an entirely different standard being used. And um, we do feel that that different standard is infecting the way in which these nominees move to hearing. Um, Let me just speak very briefly to Tamara Wittes, who is the USAID Assistant Secretary nominee to cover the Middle East. I mean, this is someone that this committee knows well. She's served as a previous deputy assistant secretary at state for this region. She's been at Brookings. Uh, She's appeared before this committee. She's received uh, awards and distinctions. Um, And at a time when, you know, we have some real crises in the Middle East that are connected to the way in which we spend dollars. I think about Lebanon, a country that is literally falling apart, where U.S. aid is maybe going to be one of the few things that holds it together to decide as a committee that we're not going to even have a hearing on an incredibly – this is not someone who has never served before in government. This is not someone whose views are unknown to us. Um, This is someone who's ready to do the job, that is certainly ready to at least come before this committee for a hearing and a vote, um, serving a region of the world that desperately needs – Someone to oversee US taxpayer dollars. We're spending that money one way or another. So, why would this committee delay the ability to get somebody in place to oversee it? Um, I, I, I want to concur with all of the comments of uh, the chairman, and my hope is that we can break this logjam on the floor, but also break this logjam here
1: in the committee. Thank you, Mr. Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman. Senator. Uh, briefly to respond, uh, you, know, you focused on the wittis, uh one. You didn't focus on the 50 that we have cleared through here. Wittes has a long, long history of tweeting about members of this committee to begin with. In one of the tweets, she called the Abraham Accords a gift to authoritarianism. Uh, As a result of that, we are going back and looking very closely at everything that uh, she has written and said to see whether we want to uh, support that or not. Uh, Again, uh, I I don't uh, think it's fair to, to pick out one of those and ignore the the vast majority we've put in here. I agree with you. There's a log jam on the floor. I'm not speaking to that. That's Other people are going to have to uh, speak with that. But in any event, thank you, Mr. Chairman.
3: Yeah. Could I just respond, Senator Cardin? S- Senator Risch, the comedy in this committee has has worked, I think, extremely well for the benefit of this committee. I, at one time, was had the responsibility of being the ranking member and working with Senator Corker. And I must tell you, there were so many nominations that came up during that period that I was very much opposed to. But comedy requires us to reach a point where we let the committee make those decisions, not the chairman and ranking member. And on the Morgan issue, I would just urge you, if we have all the information for the committee to be able to make that decision, I think there's responsibility with the chairman and ranking member to resolve when that comes before the full committee for determination. Otherwise, we're giving a veto to one member and that's not what this committee is about. That's why comedy works. I would just urge you to reconsider this because, yes, Senator Menendez can bring the issue to our committee without comedy, but I think comedy has worked well to protect the majority and minority rights on this committee It's extraordinary how much we work together in that regard, and it's worked well over time. And I would just urge you to reconsider on this point. If all the information is available, if you can make your case before the committee, have trust in the membership. It's equally divided. Give us that opportunity in this committee to make that decision without jeopardizing a tradition in this committee that I think has worked to protect the minority rights, probably more than the majority rights, but the rights uh, and value of this committee working
0: together. Thank you. Senator Cruz.
7: Uh, Mr. Chairman, I want to make three points on this. Uh, First of all, uh, in my judgment the ranking member has has bent over backwards to express comedy and to work with the chairman of this committee. Uh, I would note the committee has responded to those efforts of goodwill by doing things such as scheduling two successive business meetings in a single week when a matter is held over to circumvent the ability of the minority to focus on an issue of concern. That's not an expression of comedy when you have a business meeting on Wednesday and immediately do another business meeting on Thursday with the obvious intention of saying, never mind the prerogatives of the member who's exercising it, we're the majority, damn it, we're going to force it through. That's, That's not an expression of comedy. Secondly, I would point out uh, with regard to the QFRs uh, that there have been some nominees who have submitted their answers and submitted their answers reasonably. Uh, there have also been nominees who have openly defied this committee, and, and in fact, one of those nominees is before this committee today, Barbara Leaf. Uh, as the Chairman knows, I, I spoke about Ms. Leaf at length on the floor yesterday. And Ms. Leaf's questions in response, uh, or answers rather, in response to questions I submitted for the record, uh, completely uh, defied the authority of this committee. Three questions in particular that, that, that she refused to provide even the barest modicum of answers. Number one, the administration is right now today holding hostage $130 million in military assistance to our ally, the nation of Egypt. And the administration is, among other things, demanding that Egypt release 16 prisoners that are currently incarcerated in Egypt. But the Biden administration refuses to identify who those prisoners are, refuses to tell this committee, refuses to tell the American people. I asked Ms. Leaf, who are the 16 prisoners that the administration is demanding a quid pro quo. There is some irony to how we spent last year in impeachment proceedings, given that the administration is explicitly and and unabashedly insisting on a quid pro quo. You will get your 130 million that Congress has appropriated when you release these 16 individuals from jail. That is undoubtedly a quid pro quo. And the question I ask Ms. Leaf is name the 16. Are they affiliated with the Muslim Brotherhood? Do they have terrorist ties? Are they American citizens? Have they committed crimes of violence? Those are reasonable questions The American people would like to know, Ms. Leaf responded to those QFRs with a thousand words of gobbledygook, where she spoke about everything under the sun except the specific question asked, who are the 16? And I would note, in fact, the administration did even better. There's a classified document that we can go to the SCIF and read. I've gone to the SCIF and read it. There's no reason for that document to be classified. The only reason that document is classified is because the administration doesn't want me reading the names in this hearing. It is purely a public relations ploy to keep that document classified. Ms. Leif is defying this committee's authority. Likewise, the second question I asked Ms. Leif, the State Department issued a written guidance to its employees prohibiting them from using the words Abraham Accords. They're so opposed to the historic peace deals that were signed last year that they've forbidden using Abraham Accords. And I was note, even though there have been some Biden nominees that have had the courage to defy that State Department guidance, uh, it continues to have force. On September 13, U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Thomas Greenfield gave an entire speech about the Abraham Accords in which she didn't utter the words Abraham Accords. Instead, she used the banal euphemism normalization agreements. Likewise, on October 13th, Secretary Blinken met with Israeli Foreign Minister Lapid, and the spokesperson, spokesperson readout again just used the words regional normalization efforts. I asked, please provide to the committee and the American people the written guidance prohibiting use of, of the terms Abraham Accords. And again, Ms. Leaf basically said, go jump in a lake. No, I'm not going to give you your guidance. And, and by the way, her justification, she said, hey, I'm at the NSC, that's state. I don't have the ability to give anything at state. Well... If Foggy Bottom wants her confirmed as an Assistant Secretary of State, I think they can find the State Department documents. And the third and final point I'll make on Ms. Lee's QFRs is I asked about uh, the administration's attempt to negotiate a so-called less-for-less agreement with Iran. In other words, lessening pressure on Iran for something substantially less than a promise not to build a nuclear arsenal, uh, Ms. Leif's answer was to categorically flat-out deny there are no less-for-less less negotiations, they don't exist. Multiple press reports in Reuters and elsewhere flatly contradict that. In my view, Ms. Leif's answer to this committee was a direct and deliberate falsehood. And, and so I would say I addressed this at significant length earlier this week on the floor. I would commend anyone in this committee to listen to that floor address. I think everyone on this committee should care about those questions, particularly the first one. Who are the 16 individuals? I noted on my floor speech that Senate Democrats put in appropriation language in a report a series of names of individuals expressing concerns about their incarceration in Egypt, one of whom is a prominent hate preacher who spreads anti-Semitism at, at great length. Moments ago, the chairman was speaking about the, 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 the uh, envoy to, to oppose anti-Semitism. Well, there is some irony that Senate Democrats are apparently demanding that Egypt release a prominent anti-Semite, um, and the public doesn't know if those are included in, in, in the people for whom the money is being held hostage or not. Um, a final point, Mr. Chairman, I would simply ask that I be recorded as a no and recorded as voting in present for the nominees Leaf, Gowandi, Emmanuel, and Reynoso. Uh, those will be so listed. Uh, let me
0: briefly, I know there are other members who want to speak, but, you know, you can have your opinion. You can't have your own facts, though. Uh, the reality is, is that as it relates to calling business meetings, consecutively, the Senator has abused the process that this committee has in a way that in my entire life in the Senate I have never seen on either side of the aisle. So when you're going to do it indiscriminately and in a buckshot approach, it then calls for the ability to break an indiscriminate process With an opportunity for members to cast their vote. Now, that, by the way, was done on occasion under Republican majorities. I never heard the senator complain about it. But then again, that majority at that time, that Republican majority, never faced the indiscriminate hold of all nominees. Secondly, on QFRs, you have answers. As a matter of Mm -hmm. fact, you had a here at your at the hearing uh, for uh, Ambassador Leaf. You had a good back and forth, and then there were public, there were reports out there that you wanted to follow, and so you decided to follow it. And the, the names have been provided. They're in a, in the SCIF, classified for anybody who wants to go see them. Evidently, you've referenced that you have seen them. So the names are there, uh, whether you uh, have a difference of view, whether they should or should not be classified as another, but the names have been provided. So to suggest that the names have not been provided, therefore it is unresponsive, um, and, and lastly, you keep saying uh, this thing. I know that if we say it enough, it's like, uh, you know, the history of the past. If we keep saying something that isn't true enough, we hope that it becomes true. The reality is, is that I have heard the Secretary of State, I have heard Ned Price, the spokesperson for the State Department, and others, including those nominees before this committee, consistently refer to the Abraham Accords as the Abraham Accords. Now, the Secretary of State is the highest person in the federal government as it relates to foreign policy outside of the president. He has consistently named it the Abraham Accords, fitting and appropriately as it is. But to ask a nominee to give you a document that you're looking for, that she has no control over the document, you can ask the Secretary of State for a document. The bottom line is, if there was a prohibition against calling the Abraham Accords the Abraham Accords, then the Secretary of State wouldn't use it. The Secretary of State's spokesperson wouldn't use it. None of the nominees that came before the committee would use it. So it's it's a fallacious argument
4: at the end of the day. Senator Kane. Um, thank you, Mr. Chair. I, I think the numbers don't lie. Um, what Senator Murphy said was correct, that Democrats had major objections to Donald Trump's foreign policy, but by this time, nearly 40 ambassadors had been confirmed 32 by voice vote, and others by recorded vote. And here we are with five ambassadors confirmed to countries around the world. What a poor message that sends about U.S. disinterest, U.S. disinterest in the world. Um, it sends a sign to nations that we're interested in them when we send them an ambassador. And when we can't even bother to do that, it sends a sign that we're not interested. This is a parochial issue for me. An awful lot of State Department employees live in Virginia. Um, Their morale is affected by the actions of this committee. And I'm starting to worry, uh, Mr. Chair, that what I'm seeing, not just in this committee and elsewhere over the course of the last few years, is a sort of an effort by one party in this body to redefine what advice and consent is. This is a constitutional requirement of the Senate to advise and consent to a certain specified number of presidential nominations. Obviously, the advise and consent requirement is not a rubber stamp. Consent also means oppose. But you ought to vote no. I heard Senator Cruz, he doesn't like the fact that he got those names by classified rather than in public. That would be a great reason to vote no. That would be a great reason to vote no. But what I've seen in this committee and others is an effort to switch advice and consent to not voting no, but just delaying action in an inappropriate way. And, and why delay action rather than vote no? Because you can avoid accountability for it. A yes or no vote, you gotta explain. There's gonna be some accountability for it. And most of us are proud to vote yes or no and explain, but avoiding votes, boy, what a slick trick. If we can figure out a way to avoid votes, we never have to explain, we never have to be accountable for it. And I think that's basically an undermining of the responsibility that's an important one that the Senate has of offering, advising, consent on nominations. So, Mr. Chair, as far as I'm concerned, you know, Senator Risch has has made an offer to you that you have the ability to put things on without his approval. You're a fair-minded individual. You don't put up with um, nominees not (coughs) providing full responses to this committee because I've seen you be upset when they didn't under both Democratic and Republican presidents, I feel like if you feel that a file is complete and that questions have been answered, and even if they're not answered to somebody's satisfaction around this dais, if you think they've been answered in a reasonable way, I think we ought to be having hearings and we ought to be be having votes and let people go on the record and express whether they're happy or unhappy with nominees, but this effort to avoid the advise and consent function by basically playing kind of a four corners basketball game where nobody's accountable for votes is very debilitating. It sends a horrible message around the world and I think it undermines a responsibility that the Senate should take very seriously. Thank you.
7: Mr. Chairman.
0: Let Let me uh, turn to others who have not had an opportunity. Senator Merkley.
2: Uh, thank you very much Mr. Chairman. The, um, the question we're wrestling with is whether this committee can do its job in a day of intensified partisanship, partisanship that is uh, fueled and amplified uh, through separate cable channels, through intensive social media campaigns. And I would argue that it is the responsibility of the chair and the ranking member to resist manifesting that accelerated, intensified partisanship in the context of the responsibilities of this chamber. We are the Foreign Relations Committee. Only five ambassadors have been confirmed by the Senate. As Senator Murphy pointed out, 32 were done by voice vote at the first year uh, or to this point in the first 10 months of the Trump administration. Five ambassadors. Now the ranking member has pointed out that there is an alternative to comedy, that you, Mr. Chairman, can put ambassadors up regardless of his consent. But you, as I understand it, are saying let's try to have a partnership between the Democratic and Republican leadership to make this committee work together for its responsibilities for America, for our diplomacy in the world. So I beseech that I encourage the chair and ranking member, ponder this question. We have a responsibility that rises above the partisan rants of the membership. I think everyone here has expressed in tweets and speeches their frustrations, their anger with the other party, but this committee has a higher responsibility to make the executive effective in the world. We are in a competition with China, if you have not noticed. They're saying the, the decisive nature of an authoritarian control gets things done. And they're pointing to America and saying, look, America can't make decisions on fundamental issues. And they might put as a poster child this committee right now that has only been able to confirm, pass on five ambassadors in 10 months. That's one ambassador every two months. This is an unacceptable, tragic outcome. It has to be addressed. And there are positions other than ambassadors. Mallory Stewart, up for Assistant Secretary for Arms Control, Verification, and Compliance. We are all concerned about China's new weapons strategy in the nuclear category. We are all concerned about the the Russian program of nuclear technology weaponry. We're all concerned with the risk of the stability of nuclear war and nuclear proliferation. We have a nuclear posture review underway without the leadership of a person in this role. So she should be come before this committee and we should vote, yes or no. But we shouldn't sit on such an important position and not act. That is failing our responsibility for the security of this nation. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: Uh, Mr. Chairman. I'm going to turn to Senator Shaheen, who hasn't had an opportunity, then I'll turn to you.
8: Um, Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I, I certainly want to echo the concerns of my colleagues. And, you know, during the previous administration, I tried to vote for those nominees who I thought were qualified, who I could support, and vote against those who I didn't support there were some of my colleagues who voted against everyone who was nominated by the Trump administration. I didn't think that was the right way to go, just as I don't think it's appropriate now for some of my Republican colleagues to vote against all of the Biden nominees. I think, I know there are some legitimate concerns that my colleagues have expressed. Senator Cruz and I agree on Nord Stream 2. Um, But the fact is, What is happening now is inhibiting the ability of the United States of America to do its work. You know, I appreciate that the Republicans in the Senate want to try and undermine this administration, um, that you don't like the outcome of the past election, but it's over. You know, what happened to politics ends at the water's edge because our colleagues are looking at what's happening here not our colleagues our adversaries and as senator merkley said so well china's making a pitch that authoritarianism is the best alternative because democracy doesn't work because they're looking at our congress and saying democracy doesn't work because people aren't willing to work together you know I, i worked really closely on the bipartisan infrastructure package, on the package of COVID assistance that we did back in December. Those were bipartisan efforts to get things done in the best interests of the country. And that's what I'm gonna continue to try and focus on. And I really hope that all of us here would take that approach that we wanna try and where we can agree work together where we disagree, let's vote, but let's not continuously hold up the ability to get things done. I would also point out, as the only woman on this committee, that most of the people who are being held up for these positions are women. So you know, I, I don't know, I don't know how we fix this, but. What's happening now is not working, and it's not working just for the Senate, but it's not working for the country. Senator
7: Cruz. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to respond to several of the comments that have been made by Democratic members of this committee. Uh, I would point out, first of all, on the 16 names, uh, the chairman observed that, yes, the Biden administration is holding hostage $130 million for Egypt and demanding that 16 people be released from prison—
0: no, the chairman did not recognize that. To be fair, you, the I, I was, did not recognize I don't put words in my mouth that I didn't say.
7: Uh, Mr. Chairman, do you deny that they're withholding 130 million dollars? I, I, I did do, do not Do you say deny that. they're withholding I, 130 million? I don't. I, I don't need to be cross-examined by you. Well, my you're friend. cross-examining me. I'm, I'm speaking. Not cross-examining, you're cross-examining I'm me. Something chairman, that
0: you misstated. You're, you're interrupting
7: chair, me. You're interrupting me. The chair me. will not and,
0: allow. Really. The chair will, not allow, what will you not allow you to say something I did not say. I did not say. All you I are said interrupting, that there are me, in names You're interrupting I, me in the middle of a sentence. You're interrupting me in the middle of a sentence. Do cha- you
7: deny that they're holding the money senator hostage? senator will withhold. How about you withhold? The You're senator the one interrupting me. I'm speaking. You're interrupting me. I, I will adjourn the meeting. If you, if you are want to have your opportunity, opportunity and want you are meeting, it. you are not allowed to put on comedy, words in my mouth you are and interrupting I know you want me. to do
0: this for your youtube for your presidential you, you are interrupting me
7: okay but, that's that's the first but stop putting character. words that You're i have not said me again. i did
0: not say anyone is holding
7: anybody hostage you are oh, interrupting me again are, are you going to allow me to speak mr chairman Continue. do you, uh, that's very kind of you and i will say mr chairman i appreciate your lecture on comedy when you interrupt me. All right, so let me speak more precisely because I was in the middle of one sentence when you interrupted me. It is an established fact, publicly acknowledged, that the Biden administration is holding $130 million hostage in Egypt and demanding the release of 16 prisoners who are currently incarcerated. What the chairman just said is that I should be satisfied because when I asked for those names, the administration provided them a classified document that members of this committee can read in a a skiff that is hidden from the American people. Mr. Chairman, the fact that it's hidden from the American people is a problem. This is not a star chamber where we sit in smoke-filled rooms. Rather, the American people have a right to know about the radical agenda that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are putting forward. And there's a reason it's classified they don't want the names known. Why? Because, look, under Barack Obama, the Obama administration repeatedly and vocally supported the Muslim Brotherhood, a terrorist organization that murders Americans, that murders Israelis, that is virulently anti-Semitic. When we saw over a million people standing in the streets of Cairo, they were holding up signs saying America supports the Muslim Brotherhood, Because the Obama-Biden administration had a policy of supporting the viciously anti-American terrorists in the Middle East. Why does Joe Biden not want those names released? Because they can't defend the names on the list. And so for the chairman to say, you should be happy that they're hidden in a secret room if you want to defend them, Senator Kane talked about accountability. Let's have some accountability. Let's talk about the 16 names. And the American people want to know why Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are trying to force our allies to release people who may well be a national security threat to the United States. Secondly, on the Abraham Accords, the chairman pointed out, said, well... There are members of the State Department who use those words, which is something I acknowledged in my remarks. Yes, there have been individual members of the administration who have defied those orders. Interestingly, what was missing from the chairman's remarks was even a syllable of a word denying that there was a written guidance saying, do not use the words Abraham Accords. And the reason I believe the chairman didn't deny it, it's been publicly reported in the media that those, those written directives went out And why doesn't the State Department provide them? For the same reason they don't provide the list of 16 names. They want to hide it from the American people because they're embarrassed at the left-wing politics driving their policies. It is pure public relations that they're hiding that directive. They don't want the American people to read it. And third, there have been lots of speeches in High Dungeon about... The delay in nominees. Now, I will note that many of the delays in ambassadors have been delays in nominations that this administration has been incredibly slow in putting forward uh, nominees to be considered. But I don't hide remotely from the fact that I have a hold on State Department nominees, and I have a hold for a specific reason that every member of this committee knows exactly what it is. And and it is that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are defying federal law. They are brazenly and unapologetically defying federal law to benefit Russia and Putin on Nord Stream 2. And the remarkable thing is every member of this committee on the Democratic side of the aisle agrees with me on the substance and has said so on the record repeatedly, has voted on the record repeatedly. The members of this committee know the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, if it goes online... Will hurt America, it will hurt Europe, and will it will enrich Putin and any successor tyrants in Russia for generations to come. That's why we passed bipartisan legislation that Senator Shaheen and I have authored, not once but twice into law. And the Biden administration made what I believe is a generational geopolitical blunder in surrendering to Putin. Now I would note also that for several months since August, I have had a written offer of compromise submitted to this administration. That if they want to break the log jams, it's very simple. Under CAATSA, which members of this committee supported, indeed I've given floor speeches quoting from multiple Democrats on this committee. CAATSA provides, it is a statute that provides, if the administration wants to waive sanctions on Russia, it triggers an automatic override vote in Congress. And I've said it's very simple. If the administration will waive the sanctions under CATSA and trigger the override vote, I'll lift my holes. Multiple Democrats on this committee privately have told me they think my offer of compromise is very reasonable and the Biden administration should take it. Now, what, what hasn't happened, there haven't been any Democrats saying that publicly. And I understand it is difficult to oppose a president of your own party. So it's one thing to say it privately on the Senate floor. It's another thing to say it publicly. I'll point out on Nord Stream 2, when we had a Republican president, I was not shy about speaking out and putting pressure on a Republican president to stand up to Russia and Putin on this. And I would ask my Democratic colleagues to show the same willingness to do so for a Democrat when you know the Democrat is wrong. And there is a reasonable offer of compromise that could break the logjam. But instead of doing so, The Democrats who have told me privately they think it's a reasonable compromise, they haven't said so publicly. Instead of putting pressure on their own Democratic president, we have Democrat after Democrat who come to the floor and they give speeches lambasting me. The chairman, I think I counted, it's the third time he asserts that apparently I'm not interested in Russia, I'm not interested in American national security. It's a presidential campaign, the chairman tells me. He says so repeatedly impugning my integrity. And let me point out a final thing. Senator Kane talked about accountability. I'm a big believer in accountability. If any of you think that I am somehow afraid to be accountable for fighting against decisions that are hurting American national security, you have missed the hours upon hours upon hours in which I've defended that decision on the Senate floor. There ain't no hiding what I'm doing because I believe it's the right thing to do. But accountability is accountability to, to each other, but it's ultimately to the American people. The senator from Virginia, I was in your state last night. There was an election in the state of Virginia last night where Glenn Youngkin was elected governor. I would note the chairman's state, New I, Jersey, I, had an election. I have oh,
0: allowed the senator to continue I- for an enormous period of time. I'd, like, I'd ask you to wrap up because we I, do I, have I, a classic. I am wrapping
7: trophy. up, Mr. Chairman. I am wrapping up. And my point is simple. Last night, in a political earthquake the voters in Virginia elected a Republican governor. Last night in a political earthquake, the voters of New Jersey may have done the same thing. I checked this morning, it's, it's 1,500 votes separating the two and they're still counting votes. The reason I believe voters in two states that have been blue for a long time went the other direction is because of the radical and extreme policies of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And I will point out this committee in saying we're not going to stand together fighting for the national security, is defying the American people. The American people have a right to know if Joe Biden is trying to release terrorists. And, and simply the partisan loyalty of Democrats is not furthering the responsibility Thank you. Thank you of you this committee.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you for the political lesson. Let me first say that holding $130 million is not by – it is pursuant to congressionally pass legislation. So you can't keep saying that it's not, it's congressionally passed legislation. Number two is I never said you should be happy that the names are available. You, you once again uh, try to misclassify what the chair said. I just said that they are available to you and to any other member in the SCIF. I didn't say you need to be happy for it. Uh, and as it relates to Nord Stream 2, let me just say, What you're suggesting is that a member of the Senate, and in this case, a member of the Senate in the minority, can dictate the policy to the executive branch in order to get their nominees through. Well, I've seen casting votes to suggest what that policy should be, but I have never seen the hostage-taking of career nominees in order to achieve them. With the thanks of the committee, this meeting is adjourned.